This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company that I have known and loved since its very beginning. The goal of Thrive Market is to make real food affordable for everyone. And now they help their half a million members, including me, get organic foods that we love delivered to our door for less. Think of it as an online combination of Costco and Whole Foods with tons of organic, allergy-friendly, paleo, vegan, keto, and other options. Their annual membership earns you free gifts and guaranteed savings. And this is one of my favorite parts. An annual membership that you pay for also sponsors a free membership for a family in need. So you'll get 25 to 50% off top brands. And as a tip, I always look at the new Thrive Market brand products that provide an even bigger discount on their 500 plus high quality products. You can check out all of their products and save an additional 25% on your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash WM. So that's thrivemarket.com forward slash WM for Wellness Mama. And if you're already a member, still go to thrivemarket.com forward slash WM and check out because Thrive often runs deals of the day and gifts with purchase. So even if you're already a member, you can often get free products when you shop on certain days. So always keep an eye out for those and always check out the new deals at thrivemarket.com forward slash WM. This episode is powered by Ritual. They make vitamins specifically designed just for women. Ritual vitamins contain nine essential nutrients that most women just don't get enough of, including vitamin B12 as methylcobalamin form, folate and not the synthetic folic acid, D3, K2, vitamin E, omega-3 fatty acids, boron, chelated iron, and a proprietary form of magnesium. Ritual supplies all of these in forms that are easily absorbed and utilized, and their capsules are vegan, gluten-free, allergen-free, and non-GMO. They have both a prenatal and a regular women's multivitamin, both designed specifically for women and synergistic for women's hormones. Did you know, for instance, that 40% of women cannot properly use folic acid due to an MTHFR gene variation? Ritual contains a natural form of folate and synergistic nutrients, so the entire multi is more effective. This is especially important pre-pregnancy or during pregnancy, because during pregnancy especially, folate is vital. According to OBGYN Jason Rothbart, most women don't find out they're pregnant until about four to seven weeks pregnant which is past the first 28 days. In the first 28 days, the baby's organs are rapidly forming and the neural tube, which becomes the central nervous system and the vertebral column, is almost completely formed and closed by the end of 28 days. In other words, you need those nutrients in your body before you get pregnant. The essential nutrient folate helps promote healthy development of the neural tube. And this is why many doctors recommend taking a quality prenatal for several months before trying to get pregnant. Ritual makes this easy with both a prenatal and a regular women's multivitamin. And you can learn more about both by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash ritual. So again, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash R-I-T-U-A-L. 
Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I'm here today with someone I can't wait to share with you. Hunter Cook of Hunter Fitness became a close friend when I visited Finland this year with Four Sigmatic, and I have been implementing his systems ever since, which is why I couldn't wait to share him with you. He has a bachelor's in kinesiology with a focus on exercise science, and he now teaches the FRC Mobility Specialist Certification and his Kinstretch Instructor Certification will explain what both of those mean, but he teaches all over the world and he has a long list of clients from professional athletes and trainers um, to celebrities and to regular people just like me. So Hunter, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be such a fun conversation. And to start with, I think it will be really helpful if you could explain what you do and how it's different than a lot of other ways that people teach somewhat similar material. Sure. That's a a loaded question because I could just talk and not let you ask any other questions for the next couple hours if you let me go off on that. But um, I'll I'll try and summarize it. What the umbrella term that kind of covers what I teach and what I do with my clients and athletes is mobility work. But that's kind of a muddy word in the fitness world today because a lot of people claim to be doing mobility work, but everyone's doing wildly different things. And it all kind of falls all under the umbrella term of mobility work. So the the best way I can explain it is that I try and teach people a way to exercise that gives them back the degrees of freedom in their joints so that they can actually do whatever their activity is better and easier or with less insult to their body. And what I mean by that is a lot of people are exercising, just being told what to do. Like let's say you go to a CrossFit gym or a personal trainer, and a lot of people are just kind of being fit into the mold of their trainer or gym. Like they go and they do the wad of the day, but without any kind of really assessment protocol to see if their body's ready for that kind of activity. So my job is is almost like a preemptive step to just sending anybody to a CrossFit gym is I I try and see where people's bodies are when I meet them. I assess them and I I see what they want to do. And what they want to do is wildly different person to person. So some people want to CrossFit. Some people want to Zumba. Some people are circus artists. And some people are just grandmothers that want to play with their kids pain-free. And I I try my job is to take them from where they are and give them back the degrees of freedom and the ability to do the things they want to do with less insult or with less injury or with with less problems uh, for the future. So... Ultimately, what I do in an umbrella term, like I said, it's mobility work, but it's, I think it's actually much more than that. Um, it's, it's a protocol to give people back the prerequisites so that they could live their lives. Um, but a lot of things fall into that categories, category. So what I do is I teach people how to gain range of motion back. Um, I teach people how to have a practice on joint health and longevity, which is probably the missing piece in all of fitness. And I teach people how to have a focus to train the way that they like to train, but simultaneously at least have the idea of injury mitigation in mind, um, which is another way to say injury prevention. I just don't really believe injury prevention is possible. So I like to use the word injury mitigation more than prevention. So it's a, it's a complicated series of sentences there, but ultimately I, I try and teach people how to take care of themselves better so that they can do whatever they want to do better. Yeah. So, okay. On that note, I want to go deeper on the joint health thing, because when you explained this to me, it kind of blew my mind. I'd never heard this, like the way that you explained joints and how that's different than just straight up mobility. Because I think for a lot of people, they if you say joint health, they just think, okay, lack of pain or being able to move it. But you have a very specific system. And you also explained about like the things that influence joint health that people may not think of. So can you walk us through that? 
Sure. So there's there's a few different things. Um, like when I first started talking to you about this stuff, I told you that I, I eventually ended up teaching you, but I showed you what I what we call in the FRC system or the the functional range systems um, the morning routine, which is a, a daily habit of taking all of your joints through. Uh, as much pain-free range of motion as possible in a rotational manner. And it's something that I believe 100% of humans should be doing. I teach it to all my clients, all my athletes, tech, of, over time, all of their family and friends as well. I believe it's the low-hanging fruit of mobility. But one, one of the reasons I teach it and the important things about it is that it covers, it, it checks off several things, several boxes that I find to be important. One, when I watch your joints move, it acts as an assessment for me. But the more important thing and this is something I explained to you in person. It's, it's hard to get across over a podcast, but when I teach you about your joint mechanics a little bit more, I taught you a way to assess yourself every day. So I taught you, and this is something that anybody, if they find an FRC person in their area, can learn, but I taught you a way to assess your own body every day with that morning routine because what I taught you was there are, there are green light, red light scenarios to understanding if a joint is just, say, stiff and immobile or if there's actually biomechanical issues, if there's actually a problem, and, and that was the term that I used with you called closing angle joint pain, I informed you of what that means from a joint mechanic standpoint and how that's not something you could train through. So when you're doing your morning rotations, if you have closing angle joint pain, that's something that has to be referred out to, to a therapist. So now, not only am I assessing my clients when I watch these movements, but I taught my clients how to assess themselves on a day-to-day -day standpoint because if you're going through a daily assessment you make decisions for all of your other exercise and human movement better because if something's going wrong with your hip then maybe going to crossfit that day and doing squats or going to a dance class and doing certain movements isn't the best idea right now because closing angle joint pain specifically is not something that you could just train through Going back to the joint health and longevity concept, um, besides just the assessment protocol that I not only have I assessed you and have you learned how to assess yourself on a daily basis, but one of the most important things about the morning routine practice is you now have a daily practice that keeps the deep stuff of your joints healthy. And what I mean by that is when we work out, and everyone kind of knows this, but I'm going to do a little refresher. When we work out, what we're really doing is damaging our tissues. So if you go to the gym and you do bicep curls, you're not building stronger biceps by working out. What you're doing is just damaging muscle tissue. And then the amazing thing about the human body is that as long as you recover well, and that falls under the category of sleeping enough and eating well enough, if you recover well, not only do you repair that damaged tissue back to the prior state of function, but it recovers better. So you you build more, you lay down new and better tissue than what was there before. And that's what really strength training is. Strength training is damaging your body and then allowing it to recover better. Damage your body and allowing it to recover better. The thing about when we damage muscle tissue is that it does its job so well to recover because of the amount of vascularity and nerve tissue that's naturally flowing through muscle cells. So we have a ton of veins, a ton of arteries going throughout our muscle system that you could just you could get a good workout in and then just lay on the couch for a couple of days and not have to do anything else and your muscles will recover adequately. They always do. You're sore for a couple of days, then they recover better. With our tendons and ligaments, which is just a different form of connective tissue, but we've all heard those names before. If they get damaged, they will recover too. There is 
vascularity going through veins and uh, through uh, tendons and ligaments. It's just less vascularity. So instead of taking like two to four days to feel 100% again, it might take weeks or months. But once again, if you recover properly and give it the right stimulus, which is typically physical therapy, um, if you put good input in and give it enough time, tendons and ligaments, once, once again, can not only be brought back to the prior state of function, but they can be brought back better. So if you do therapy properly, you should be making sure that you're making that tissue more resilient over time so that you don't get injured again in that same area. The problem with joint space, so if you imagine like bone, bone, and that cartilage capsule space that's just between the bones, is that some joint space has very little, almost no vascularity, and some joint space actually has no vascularity whatsoever, meaning it doesn't have its own source of nutrition to just bring for that, that tissue to recover. But it is, it is human tissue, like that cartilage and capsule stuff is human tissue, meaning it's cells that needs nutrition. So the only thing we know that actually brings nutrition into that joint space is movement. So when we move our joints through our greatest range of motion, that kind of pressure change that you get from those tissues moving near each other actually brings nutrition into the joint space that doesn't have its own vascularity. And that's how we take that's, – that's a way to have a focus on longevity, a way, it's a, way, a way to make sure that you have a healthy practice that actually keeps our joints healthy. Because once again, if you that, – that, and that, that right there, by the way, is why sedentary people – have just as many joint issues as active people because just not moving is not the solution here either because not moving is making sure that you're not getting health into all the areas of your joints, not getting nutrition into all the areas or areas of your joints. So another analogy that I use to explain this is for your hygiene for your teeth, you, you learned this as a kid that every day you have to brush your teeth because brushing your teeth every day is a preventative measure to make sure that you take care of the hygiene. You don't let cavities build up. We don't make sure there's any dental hygiene problems. So you have a daily practice every morning and every evening. You brush your teeth. What I compare the morning routine of joint movements to and what I taught you is it's the brushing your teeth of your joints. So now every day you wake up and you move your joints in the manner that I taught you. And it's not because it's fun. It's not because it's exciting. It's because it's the brushing your teeth of your joints. It's the preventative thing that you do on a daily basis to make sure that you're injecting movement into your life that keeps the hygiene of your joints healthy. Does that make sense? Like it, it's, the, it's the one thing you could do on a daily basis to make sure I care for the deep stuff in my body. I care for the joint space. And I want to make sure that as I, as I get older, because de degeneration of our joints is a very real thing, as I get older, I'm doing everything in my power to just make sure that I'm taking care of my joints the best I can. And really, the analogy of, of brushing your teeth is the best thing I can come to what I teach from a, a daily movement standpoint. Yeah, I've definitely made it part of my routine, just like brushing my teeth. And it's great in the morning because I feel like it just wakes me up and also just makes me feel great for the day. But I also want to go deeper on how this differs from, for instance, just flexibility. Because you, according to some of your Instagram posts, you're highly flexible, which I think is also unusual for a guy with a lot of muscle. But I'm thinking people listening, some of them may be thinking, oh, well, I already do yoga or I already do something that involves stretching. So I do I even need something like this? So can you speak to the difference there? Absolutely. So I want you to try and imagine all the different things for we could do for our body from like a health and fitness movement standpoint. You could almost put into two different categories of a passive modality or an active modality, meaning that something's either being done to you or you're doing something to create movement. 
So a lot of what people are doing for mobility work or stretching work or flexing flexibility work is passive modalities. So stretching, for instance, is a passive modality. You're letting gravity or somebody else, maybe your trainer, just kind of push you into your end range of motion to elicit a stretch response in a certain muscle. Now, the problem with that and other passive modalities, other passive modalities just include a lot of therapy. So massage, somebody else just rubbing your muscles is a passive modality. You laying on a foam roll is a passive modality because it's just a roll pushing into your, your muscles. When you do passive modalities, you get what we call passive results, meaning that nothing from an active standpoint has changed when you've only put passive inputs into the body. But when people say that they want more flexibility, what they want more flexibility for isn't to, well, then maybe some people fall in this category, but it's not just to make a good, cool, bendy Instagram photo. Like, yes, the yoga community, that falls into that category. But when most people think of flexibility, like, oh, my back's really tight, my hamstrings are really tight, I need to be more flexible. What they want really is to move better and feel better. So they want a better active lifestyle without the negative sensations that comes along with having a tight body or tight muscles. So if they want that, if that's really the end goal is to move better and feel better actively, which is life, then you have to put active inputs to get active results. Passive inputs will only give you better passive flexibility or passive range of motion, which is not our goal. Once again, if, if you could try and convince me that your only goal is passive flexibility, which I would then have to ask why, because I can't see a reason for that at all. But if you, the only reason I could imagine somebody would say to me, I don't care about active, I only want to be more passively flexible, is if your job is just to make bendy photos on Instagram, like a lot of yoga people do. So if that's your ultimate end goal of life is just to make more bendy, more passively flexible photos, then yeah, just, just keep stretching. Just keep making everything loose and not active. The problem with that though, is that those people that are really bendy and flexible don't actively feel good. They, they do not feel comfortable in their body. And I can confidently say that because I work with personally some of the bendiest and flexible people I've ever met in my life. The whole Los Angeles yoga scene, which is a very popular, the, if you think of your, your top three favorite Instagram yoga professionals that you follow because they make the prettiest pictures, I've probably worked with them. I've probably worked with them to teach them a little bit more about their body because they came to me in pain at some point. I could almost guarantee it. Even more bendy than that, I work with professional dancers and I work with Cirque du Soleil artists, which are even more bendy than the yoga crowd. And a lot of them are in, in terrible pain as well. And, and unfortunately, if you look up what to do when your body's not feeling good, a lot of people just suggest passive modalities. So just roll on this foam roll, just stretch more. But once again, the problem with that and the reason why that, that myth keeps getting uh, passed on from, from person to person is that those passive modalities feel good. And that's where the problem lies is that somebody will – if somebody has a tight back or tight hamstrings or tight hips, they'll roll on a foam roll and then stretch and then they feel better. So they're like, oh, this is clearly what I needed. What that is, it's called really short-term potentiation or you're getting a temporary analgesic effect, meaning that temporarily – your nervous system is just kind of tricked into feeling better. That, that the, the modality that you put in just kind of tricked your nervous system into stop thinking of those tight sensations for a little while. You have this little window of time where your body moves better and feels better. But 99 out of 100 times, if you ask anybody, this is what happens is that this, let's say the front of their hips feel tight. This is like an office worker. So what they do is they are told by their trainer or they look up online, they're like, okay, here's some hip stretches. So then they stretch their hip. And then 
that person goes to bed and wake up the next day, tight hips again. So then they stretch their hips again, feels better temporarily. Then they go about their day, wake up the next day, tight hips again. Now, what I can confidently say is if you, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and your body keeps undoing it, so if you're quote unquote tight and then you stretch and then when you're done stretching, it tightens back up again, I can confidently say that 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 stimulus alone is not what you need because your body is smarter than you. So if you keep putting in a stimulus like stretch or foam roll, and then you have to do that day after day after day, and it's not moving in the right direction as the weeks and months go on, you are not putting in the right stimulus for your body. But we don't. it's hard to believe that because as soon as you're done with that modality, you stand up and you feel a little bit better. But I'm trying to convince people over time and what we're trying to do as a community with the, the functional range systems community over time is to teach people that there is a way to train and a way to take care of your body so that that feeling that you get when you're done stretching you could have just all day that you that you we're just not teaching people how to take care of their bodies right so i don't want you to have to wake up out of bed and be stiff and miserable and it takes you like an hour to warm up just to feel normal and then play with your kids i want you to be able to wake up and spring out of bed and just feel great and now depending on the start point for somebody that doesn't mean i can accomplish that in a week or two weeks if people have been taking their taking care of their body for decades it's going to take a long time to undo the sensations that they've built up in their body but ultimately what what we're trying to do when we compare like flexibility and mobility is train in a way so that you wake up out of bed and you have all the mobility you need for the day for your activities for your sport that it's not like you have to warm up or go to a yoga class to feel comfortable that you could just wake up and get out of bed and feel comfortable and the way that we do that is we teach people really what mobility work really is it's just specialized strength training so it's and do, it's creating a way to teach people to train their body that is using strength training principles, but getting their whole body strong through their full range of motion, not just their mid range of motion, which is where most exercises exist, but also their muscles long and short ranges so that their body is way more prepared for their daily activities or their sport or their life or picking up their kids or whatever it is. I, I don't, I'm not even sure if I remember the original question or how long I've been answering this question for, but ultimately... I think one big end goal between understanding the difference between flexibility and mobility is that what a lot of people are doing is flexibility training, which is just passive modalities. And we're trying to teach people to have strength plus that flexibility, strength through their flexible ranges so that they're strong through their flexible ranges so that we have that focus of health and longevity. We have that focus of injury prevention and people don't have to spend so much time warming up or stretching just to kind of feel good about their day. That makes sense. So like to clarify, it's not that stretching or foam rolling in itself is bad. You said like it can offer a short-term relief, but you shouldn't view that as actually the solution to the problem. Like you don't, you're not having that because of a stretching deficiency per se or a foam roller deficiency. There's something else you need to address. Am I kind of getting the right gist? Right. So, so like I always tell people when I teach them, like my job is to teach people about their body or to teach other trainers how to take care of their clients better. I travel around and I, I teach the seminars as well to teach this system that I learned from uh, Dr. Andrea Spina. I, I travel the world and I teach his system to trainers and chiropractors and physical therapists and physios all over the world. And my job is to, I always tell people, I'm not trying to take away from your toolbox. I'm trying to make you understand the toolbox you have a little bit better and then add to your toolbox. But I, I wouldn't tell you to take something away. So I'm not telling you not to stretch because a part of taking care of other humans, like if my job is to take care of other humans, my job is to make people feel good too. But I also can't lie to them. 
So what a lot of people are doing is they're telling people that stretching is a solution. Stretching isn't the solution. Like I said, like if, if you're if you stretch when you're tight and then it just tightens back up, I'm going to tell you stretching is not the solution. But if it feels good, go for it. It's just not the solution. It has to be combined with something else for it to be the solution. So another example is like just just for that's one example saying if it just keeps tightening back up. Another example for why people feel tight is a capacity issue or like almost like an endurance slash strength issue. So an example I can give for that is if I go for a run and my fiance comes with me and let's say I've been running way more often than her, we're going to go a few miles into the run and my, my tissue, my, my muscles are more prepared for that mileage, but hers isn't because she hasn't been running as much. That's not a good example because she runs just as much as me, but theoretically. But let's say we're a couple miles in and now her body's starting to fatigue. One of the body's mechanisms for when it fatigues is it's going to tighten up. So she, a couple miles in, she's going to say, you know, my calves are really feeling tight. And that's her, her body starting to just say, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've hit capacity for mileage right now. So if her body's hit capacity and it's now defending itself by tightening up that area, the solution isn't stretching it. Once again, it'll feel good to stretch the calves, but she's not going to be able to stretch the calves and then just trick the body into running a few more miles. Her body's hit its capacity. So the solution is, just like anything else, get stronger. So she's hit her capacity for the day, so now she has to recover, and then the next time she comes back to running, try and go a little bit further. But that's another example where people just assume that if something is tight in my body, I have to stretch it. But very, very rarely is that the case. So that's still me not saying don't stretch, because if stretching feels good, I'm all for it. I just want you to know what it's doing. So now the same thing with foam rolling. Foam rolling feels good. If, if a client is running late and there's a foam roller on the ground, instead of just sitting there doing nothing, I might roll on the ground and roll on it because it feels good. But it is not doing what 90% of personal trainers and physical therapists say it's doing. You are not breaking up adhesions. You are not breaking up scar tissue. You are absolutely not doing self-myofascial release. And it's not even showing, although a lot of people believe this, it's not even showing really an increase in circulation in that area or increasing blood flow in that area. Once again, we don't actually know what it's doing. It's not an easily studied thing about the human body because a living human anatomy is hard to study uh, when, when we're in, uh, implementing these things. But we do know that it's not doing what most people are claiming. That's been proven already, even though every trainer still uses those terms like self-myofascial release and breaking up adhesions. Our best guess is really like, a, once again, a temporary analgesic response. We're tricking the nervous system into feeling better and giving you a little more movement for a short window of time and a little bit of pressure change with fluids in that area, once again, inducing an analgesic effect and, and a change in the nervous system's representation in your brain for a little while. So once again, I, I, I wouldn't tell people not to foam roll. But a lot of people are foam rolling because they think it's granting them mobility. So if that's the case, I just inform them that that's not true, I, I, that that is not what's happening. You're getting a little temporary window. And if you understand that and still want to use foam rolling because you're granting yourself a little window to move better in, that's fine. I just think we have to stop lying to our clients about what's actually happening when they foam roll. They're not breaking up adhesions or anything like that. They're not doing myofascial release. My only qualm with it is that a lot of people do not move well and have very poor range of motion. So what they're doing, let's say somebody has a re really bad hips. So their body over time has limited their range of motion dramatically because their hi hips are getting unhealthy. So now they can't squat very well. 
Their, their body is purposely limiting them. And I always tell my clients, man, your body's smarter than you. Your nervous system smarter than you. So if it's taking away range of motion, there's a very good reason for that. So if you haven't taken care of yourself and now you're stiff and immobile and you don't squat well, and you go to the CrossFit gym down the street and they, the, the wad of the day is to squat deep. And what you do is you now foam roll to temporarily trick your body into granting you a little more range of motion, which is a little window of time. And then you're taking that little window and maximally loading that tissue that wouldn't even let you get to that position unloaded a few minutes ago. But now you just tricked your nervous system into getting a little bit deeper and now you're going to start loading that tissue in that tricked down position where it's now letting you get a little bit further. I think, and this is opinion, there's, no, there's nothing I could say besides the fact, I have to admit it's my opinion, and that's the opinion of many of my colleagues, that we believe that if you have to trick yourself into getting the range of motion you need for a workout, that that's, that's probably not a good idea. Once again, and I, I can confirm that in just the sense that I know there's a way to train the human body to give you back that range of motion so that you have that range of motion cold. Therefore, if you could represent that you can get down into a squat unloaded, that you have healthy ankles, healthy knees, healthy hips, healthy spine, and that you could demonstrate that you could get in that position unloaded, by all means, let's load you for sure. Because if you want a strong person and we want longevity in our lives, we have to strength train. All I'm saying is I don't think people should be using foam rollers to trick their body into granting more range of motion and then load it. And then once again, the whole industry as a whole shrugs their shoulders and says, I don't know why injury rates are going up across the board. Injury rates are going up in general population. Injury rates are going up in sports, athletics, everything. And to be honest, I think one of the biggest problems is the fitness industry. I think the fitness industry is not doing its job educating their clientele well enough to, to, to really take care of their bodies better. And um, foam rolling is, is one of these issues. But that's still not me saying don't foam roll. Just tell people what it is or understand what actually is happening here. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And you've mentioned the nervous system a few times now. And I'd love more explanation on this because it really blew my mind when you explained, for instance, if you take a person and disengage the nervous system, what their joints are actually capable of. So can you explain like a little bit deeper, how does the nervous system come into play when it comes to our joints? Sure. Um, I'm not a neuroscientist, so you're going to get like a dumbed down analogy version. You know, I have to I have to teach this at the course too, but this, it's definitely something worth looking into. But it, it would take a, it would take a lot of effort for me to to fully. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. The, the, the nervous system is the most complicated thing humans have ever studied, which is why I think it's so funny to talk about. I, I try my best to explain it in a seminar format of my understanding of the nervous system. But if you, and this is something I, I, I steal from Dr. Spina himself. I've heard him say this several times. But if you ask a trainer about the nervous system, they are confident in their answer and they have charts and, and books and lines drawn to things about, about this turns this on and that turns that off. And, and they think they have it figured out. Chiropractors, massage therapists, personal trainers all have this confidence when they talk about the nervous system. But then you talk to a neuroscientist or a neurophysicist, like some, somebody that spent their career and life dedicated to understanding the nervous system. And you ask them, hey, what do we understand about the nervous system? They laugh at you, like oh, almost nothing. <laughs> so when it comes down to me talking to you about the nervous system, I'll give you my very limited understanding of it, but I'm, I'm still confident in my limited understanding of it. It's just that what we understand about it is very little in the scheme of things, because we understand a lot about our musculoskeletal system. We understand a lot about other systems in our body, but the nervous system is horribly complicated. We have 
trillions of, of, of nerve cells communicating to each other every millisecond, meaning that between those trillions interacting to each other in millisecond, there's, there's, I, I've read, I, this is a, a stat that I've read in a, a neuroplasticity book that I read recently where it said because of the trillions interacting with each other every millisecond, that means every millisecond there's over a quadrillion interactions every millisecond, which is more atoms than there is in the known universe as interactions per millisecond in every one of our bodies, which is um, just a mind-blowing statistic to me. It's absolutely outrageous. And then to understand that, that there, 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 there's so many zeros in that number, but yet the trainer down the street understands our nervous system. So that I wanted to just start with that because to let you know that I don't understand the nervous system, but I'll tell you what I know about it a little bit in the sense that our nervous system is the main thing that kind of governs our range of motion. It's not our, our musculoskeletal system. It's not our not bone hitting bone or just your muscle decided to wake up and be tight today. Our, our nervous system is what governs it. And, and just a, a, an extreme example of how I know that is one way to kind of shut the nervous system down is with anesthesia. Like when you get surgery and you've seen pictures of me on my social media and you said, like you said earlier, I'm a very bendy person. I can get my leg behind my head. I, I've worked, I, I can show an extreme range of motion with my hips, my shoulders, my spine. Now imagine a person on the exact opposite of the spectrum. They reach down to touch their toes and don't even get close. If you put that extremely quote unquote tight person under anesthesia and you try and get their leg behind their head, no problem. It'll go there because the nervous system is temporarily shut down to protect the joints. Does that make sense? So you, you could take the stiffest, most least mobile person in the world, take their nervous system out of the equation and turn them into a Cirque de Soleil artist. There'll obviously be anatomical limitations. I can't say that confidently for every single person, but it's just the idea that I want to get across. That's why a lot of joint surgeries, one, because you're doing surgery, they have to be out, but it's very productive to do the surgery when they're out because there's nothing restricting the range of motion. You could crank the joint, pull on the joint, cut open the joint, no problem, because the anesthesia is taking the nervous system out of the equation and the, the whole system is just relaxed to let you do its job. So it's a very interesting thing. And then when that person wakes up, it goes right back to the setting it was at before, quote unquote tight, and that person can't touch their toes again. So the nervous system is going to be what governs our range of motion. That being said, and knowing we have a limited understanding of it, all I could say is that we can't separate our biology and our neurology, but you do have to take both into consideration when you're training somebody. So I always tell people that my goal is both simultaneously trying to influence your, your biological system and your neurological system, but it is going to be your nervous system over time that's being convinced that change is allowed, which is once again, it's, it's going to require active inputs from training to do that convincing because your nervous system is not easily convinced. It is not something that's going to come from passive modality. Once again, the passive modalities that people are doing are tricking the nervous system into granting you a little more range of motion. But when you when your body realizes that it was tricked and that you didn't use that temporary window to convince that it's worth keeping, your body will just take that range of motion back away again. So that's once again like a lot of people if you look up mobility work on YouTube, they're doing like band distractions and foam rolling and massage and theraguns and stretching. But if you ask those people honestly, has your range of motion really improved or have you really is your body feeling better or it, it, like long term not just while you're doing the modality or 
have you has your cold mobility improved? The answer is no, because like I can go back to gyms I worked at ten years ago, and the same people that were just ending their workout with the same stretches, so they lay on the ground and stretch their hamstrings, stand up, stretch their calves. I guarantee those people are doing the same stretches ten years later as they are now, which is crazy to me because once again. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not giving you the result that you want, why are you doing that same thing over and over again? It, does, it doesn't make sense to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay, so to shift and get a, like super practical for selfish reasons right now, I, I mentioned this to you a little bit before we went on air, but feel free to call me out. Do not hold back. So I just spent four days at an event where I was standing on concrete floors, not sitting at all, standing or walking slowly for 12 to 14 hours a day and within, and holding a purse on one side. So I know lots of things wrong. But within the first day, I'm like, oh my gosh, my lower back really hurts. And it kind of continued to progress. Not to mention, I also wasn't sleeping normally there. And then by the time I got home, I sat down on the floor Indian style for a little while with the kids. And when I got up, I was like, oh, this is bad. Um, so my lower back on my right side, especially is super, super sore. And I feel like I'm feeling my age for the first time. So I'm like, like over here in a pity party. But um, I would love for you, if you can, like use me as an example and kind of dissect what's going on and all the things that are wrong with this equation. It's so there are so many variables here to be able to say, you know what, Katie, if you just did this, it would solve it. Because there's the, the human ecosystem is so complicated. Um, I, there's no way for me to say, oh man, if you just wore different footwear, you would have been fine. Or if you just sat down every 20 minutes, you would have been fine. There's no way for me to know that answer. But for a lot of people, remember like my, my calf getting tight and running example, a lot of people that just feel bad at the end of the day is because the, the insult of their day exceeded their body's capacity. So the amount of stress that their tissue went under by, say, you walking on concrete and standing for 14 hours and, and interacting with people and only having weight on one side of your body with a purse just exceeded your body's ability to deal with that load. So over time, tissue breakdown does happen. That, that's ultimately what an injury really is. And another brilliant um, nugget that I pulled up from Dr. Spina over the years is that really when an injury happens, whether it's an acute injury or chronic injury over time, it's just that the load going into the tissue, whatever tissue, any, any biological tissue, the load that went into that tissue exceeded the load-bearing capacity of that tissue. So the insult was too high and your body couldn't deal with that insult. So tissue breakdown starts to happen. Once again, when you're in that scenario and you don't feel good, if stretching makes you feel better, I'm all for it. Because once again, a part of human care is making people feel good. So I'm all for that. But ultimately, if we could admit that the injury or insult or ache happened because the amount of load coming into tissue, whether it's your whole system or just ankle or just low back or just hip or whatever else, exceeded the load-bearing capacity of the tissue, then our solution for this isn't stretching long-term. Our solution is to increase the load-bearing capacity so that the next time you have a 12 or 14-hour day, your body goes, oh, I was way more prepared for that. So the solution in a, with a lot of problems, it's so oversimplified, but it's get, get stronger. Make sure that your body is way more ready for the insult that you go through. And the insult could be sport, athletics, CrossFit, weight training. Um, it could be just life. It could be picking up your kids. It could be doing the dishes. Whatever the insult that you're putting into your body, whatever, whatever the stressor is, you have to make sure that your body's ready for that stressor. And when we're not ready for the stressors, our body starts to break down over time. And that's just the reality of it. So Although when you're in pain, the answer changes because now we have to deal with pain and pain is going to be the number one limiting factor in movement. The number one goal in pain is to, to get you out of pain first. And then when you're out of pain, it's to get you strong. 
to, to once again build up load bearing capacity of the tissue. So when it comes to the right answer for this, and no one's going to like this answer, but it's just the reality of it. I can never, I can't give a blanket statement answer for like, hey, so when somebody has back pain, what do I do? Or when someone has hip pain, what do I do? Because once again, there's so many variables in the human system and the human body is so good at compensating or, or compensatory movement that I can't tell you over a podcast what the solution is. Besides get stronger, I have to make sure that your joints are actually doing their job or that each player, if you could imagine like your body like being a team and each joint being a player on that team, I need to make sure that each player is doing their job. Because imagine, once again, imagine a sports team. If one player was just taken off the team, it has a huge disadvantage. Now the other players have to work harder. So when one player in your body, let's say hip or lumbar spine or pelvis or whatever else, isn't doing its job, the joints above and below or even further above or further below have to now make up in a compensatory matter for the fact that one thing isn't doing its job. So that's what makes the, the FRC system so powerful is that when you come to me, like if you were to come into the gym and work with me, you might say, hey, Hunter. I have back pain. Can you take a look at my back? And I'll say, you know what, Katie? I, I definitely understand that you have back pain and I'm sorry about that and I'll talk to you about that. I'll, I'll talk to you about uh, pain and I'll explain pain a little bit. But I'm not, I'm not going to just look at your back. Um, when I assess somebody, and this is something, if, if you're listening to this and you feel like you have body aches and pains that you haven't been able to figure out, I suggest linking up with an FRC mobility specialist for this reason. When, when I assess you, Katie, I'm going to look at every single joint in your body, not just the one that you're pointing out saying is in pain. I'm going to look at your neck. I'm going to look at your thoracic spine, your lumbar spine, your pelvis, your hips, your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists, your knees, your ankles, all the way down to your toes, just like I did when I first met you, like the morning routine that I showed you. I'm going to look at every joint and how it moves. Then when we look at how your joints move and the, the degrees of freedom your joint has, I'll then say... Let's look at what a healthy human hip has, degrees of freedom-wise, compared to what you showed me your hip could do. And then when we compare what a healthy human hip has compared to what your hip has, we notice that for a lot of people, there is mobility deficits. So, so this person might not have hip internal rotation on their right side and hip flexion on their left side. And then my job isn't to say, okay, I'm going to give you exercises for back pain because I don't even know what that means, to be honest. What I'm going to say is your body isn't functioning like a human. Your hip doesn't act like a hip. Your spine isn't segmenting. And for some reason, your shoulder can't rotate at all. And I don't know why, because you just came into my gym and I just met you. All I know is that your hip is supposed to be a hip, your spine is supposed to be a spine, and your shoulder is supposed to be a shoulder. So my job is to just give you the exercises. They're going to give you back the degrees of freedom so your body could be human again. So when I give you back the freedom so your hip to be a hip. So I didn't have hip internal rotation, which is necessary for the health of your hip. If I give you that back, and then I took your non-segmenting spine, and I taught you how to segment your spine again so that you could distribute and produce force throughout your torso well again, and then I gave you back your shoulder. When your body just goes about its day, and it goes back to its sports, even if that's just life, the nervous system, once again, being something that's extremely complicated, tends to figure things out over time. So your body will figure out how to move better if you give it back the degrees of freedom back to the articulations in the movements. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the, the, the I just want to touch on the spine again. A, a lot of people don't realize this because people are so afraid to move their back, especially when they're in pain. And I get that. So what, I'm not going to touch upon pain for this comment. This is just saying backs in general. 
if you could buy into the fact that what I said earlier, that, that moving your joints in the way that I taught you is like the brushing your teeth of your joints. So moving the joint is the thing that keeps our joint space healthy. Yes. Our spine is a series of joints. It's not one joint. We have 24 vertebrae. So if you, every vertebrae on top of one another has joint space in between, and every one of those joints is meant to move. It has degree to freedoms. There's a little flexion extension, there's a little lateral flexion, and there's rotation at every vertebrae. And depending on where you're at in the spine, cervical, thoracic, or lumbar, the amount differs. But that's not the point, is that each articulation upon each articulation is supposed to contribute to the global motion that our torso goes through. But when you actually assess people's spine, because of our current lifestyle, which our current lifestyle is not normal, the way that people are living their lives is not normal. If you assess people's spine, you're going to realize that when I ask for flexion or I ask for extension or anything, lateral flexion, rotation, there's only motion happening at certain segments. And then other areas of the spine are kind of chunking together like they're stuck. And that becomes a huge problem because our spine is our nervous system. That's what houses our nervous system. And there's that old like Chinese quote, like you're only as old as your spine. I absolutely agree with that. I just think it's much more complicated than just saying a silly statement like that. But I absolutely believe it. I think our spine is one of the most important things to take care of. It's going to for sure play a part in how you feel as you as you age. So when it comes down to the the if movement is the only thing that we could do to keep our joints healthy, and we understand that our spine is a series of joints, we have to move our spine to keep it healthy. But if I assess you and several areas of your spine are not moving well at all, so a lot of people have like stiff thoracic spines, they don't move much, then what's bringing health to that joint space if it's not moving? And the answer is nothing. It's just that there's letting that degenerate over time. And then one day, people are going to wake up and either be in back pain or they're going to throw their back out or whatever else. And then they're going to say, what did I do yesterday to cause my back to hurt today? And unfortunately, they're, they're asking the wrong question. It's, I haven't moved my spine like a spine in years or decades. And now today, my body is finally saying I've had enough. And that's what they're feeling. So when people say, I don't know what I did yesterday. I was just folding laundry and now my back hurts today. The folding laundry wasn't the insult. The insult was the last couple of years of not moving your spine like a spine. And then just yesterday's load that you put in just happened to push it over the edge. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that it, it becomes a, a complicated thing because people want the answer. Like people say like, I hurt today and I don't want to hurt tomorrow. What do I do? And unfortunately, there's not a quick solution to this. Now, once again, I'm not, I'm not, once it's hard for me to touch on pain. I'm not a manual therapist. I'm not a physical therapist. So I don't want to touch on that. I would say if you are in pain, for sure, I'm, I'm going to once again push towards the system that of people that I work with. So I teach the FRC mobility specialist course, which is working with trainers, physios, physical therapists, chiropractors, but it's the training modality. But the same system actually has several manual therapy courses. And the manual therapists that come out of our system understand what I'm saying about the spine very well. So I would say if you're in pain to try and use the find a provider option on our website to work with an, it's called an FR manual therapist or functional range release manual therapist, because they're going to understand the segmenting spine thing. Because unfortunately, what a lot of people are doing to get out of pain, like if, if you didn't know me and you just said, oh, crap, my back hurts, what do I do? You go to a therapist, either a massage therapist or a physical therapist or a chiropractor, and what a lot of people do is they I, – I use this quote. They, they rub the boo-boo. 
like your back hurts, so they rub it. They ultrasound. They e-stem. They 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 move it around. They they just do once again a bunch of passive modalities, and you will always leave their office feeling better because passive modalities give you that analgesic effect. You will leave feeling better. But if your back hurts due to the fact that your spine hasn't segmented in years and now you put in too much load to certain segments, yes, leaving the therapist's office, you will feel better, but you haven't done anything to solve why your back hurts. You're now just putting a Band-Aid on the issue. So that's why a lot of people that have back pain, they'll go to somebody, it'll feel better, and then they'll just have back pain again. Like the the number one injury you're going to sustain after any injury is the same injury again. So if you have low back pain... 80% 80% of people that have low back pain will have low back pain again. If you hurt your hip or if you say like what I do is I roll my ankle because I go trail running a lot. If I roll my ankle and now that I have several times, the chance of me rolling my ankle is much higher because of that tissue being weaker from previous injury. So with with back stuff, I can only suggest linking up with a good person who understands kind of what I've been trying to explain about the segmenting spine because it is one of our most important joints to take care of. Um, like if somebody came to me and they had a bad back and a bad wrist – I feel bad for the wrist. I do. But I'm for sure going to spend way more time on teaching that person how to segment their spine than work on just getting their wrist back to function because we could change their workouts to not insult the wrist while we make the back work better. And then when the back is feeling better, I'm all about making that wrist feel better again. That makes sense. And such good perspective and a good reminder for me. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company that I have known and loved since its very beginning. The goal of Thrive Market is to make real food affordable for everyone, and now they help their half a million members, including me, get organic foods that we love delivered to our door for less. Think of it as an online combination of Costco and Whole Foods with tons of organic, allergy-friendly, paleo, vegan, keto, and other options. Their annual membership earns you free gifts and guaranteed savings, and this is one of my favorite parts. An annual membership that you pay for also sponsors a free membership for a family in need. So you'll get 25 to 50% off top brands. And as a tip, I always look at the new Thrive Market brand products that provide an even bigger discount on their 500 plus high quality products. You can check out all of their products and save an additional 25% on your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash WM. So that's thrivemarket.com forward slash WM for Wellness Mama. And if you're already a member, still go to thrivemarket.com forward slash WM and check out because Thrive often runs deals of the day and gifts with purchase. So even if you're already a member, you can often get free products when you shop on certain days. So always keep an eye out for those and always check out the new deals at thrivemarket.com forward slash WM. This episode is powered by Ritual. They make vitamins specifically designed just for women. Ritual vitamins contain nine essential nutrients that most women just don't get enough of, including vitamin B12 as methylcobalamin form, folate and not the synthetic folic acid, D3, K2, vitamin E, omega-3 fatty acids, boron, chelated iron, and a proprietary form of magnesium. Ritual supplies all of these in forms that are easily absorbed and utilized, and their capsules are vegan, gluten-free, allergen-free, and non-GMO. They have both a prenatal and a regular women's multivitamin, both designed specifically for women and synergistic for women's hormones. 
Did you know, for instance, that 40% of women cannot properly use folic acid due to an MTHFR gene variation? Ritual contains a natural form of folate and synergistic nutrients, so the entire multi is more effective. This is especially important pre-pregnancy or during pregnancy, because during pregnancy especially, folate is vital. According to OBGYN Jason Rothbart, most women don't find out they're pregnant until about four to seven weeks pregnant, which is past the first 28 days. In the first 28 days, the baby's organs are rapidly forming and the neural tube, which becomes the central nervous system and the vertebral column, is almost completely formed and closed by the end of 28 days. In other words, you need those nutrients in your body before you get pregnant. The essential nutrient folate helps promote healthy development of the neural tube, and this is why many doctors recommend taking a quality prenatal for several months before trying to get pregnant. Ritual makes this easy with both a prenatal and a regular women's multivitamin, and you can learn more about both by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash ritual. So again, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash R-I-T. U-A-L. I want to clarify one thing. So you've talked about how like the joints can degenerate over time, especially if they're not getting nutrition from actually doing the right movements. Um, so just to clarify, is it possible to reverse that, to bring the nutrition back and to stop that degeneration process? Or once it's happened, has it happened? That's, it's a loaded question because I'm going to say, I believe some things can be reversed but other things you can't. Like I can't reverse arthritis. There is there is bony changes happening, and the actual structure of your joint is changing. What, whether whether that's your lifestyle or activity or or job, but the stress that went into that joint and and the lack of taking care of it maybe has led to actual physical structural changes, and that can't be undone. That's that person though, if that's the case, like if somebody comes to me and they already know like, yeah, my wrist has arthritis and my shoulder has arthritis, I'm not going to be like, oh man, that sucks. Good luck. I'm still going to do everything in my power to say whatever joint space still is healthy and whatever range of motion you do have, we need to maintain that for the rest of your life. You can't just have a pity party and say, well, I have a bad shoulder, so it's just a bad shoulder now. Absolutely not. I'm going to do everything in my power to give as much degrees of freedom back. I might not make your shoulder look like mine if it already has bony changes coming in, but you better believe we can get some good work in. Now, if I'm working with a younger person who's just, and there's a lot of young people that are in real bad shape too, um, and they just have like real stiff bodies because they haven't taken care of themselves. And it's not actually like bony change that I set in. And it's just range of motion that's been lost over time and a lack of control of their joints that they've lost over time. Absolutely, that's reversible. That's that's You'll see before and afters on my page and before and afters on, on if you follow any FRC person or Dr. Andrea Spino himself, um, he shares a lot of the testimonies as well of just people gaining back the degrees of freedom of their body and their joints. Absolutely, that's reversible. But if it's structural change into the joint, that's not something that that I'm going to change with 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 inputs. That's not possible. Got it. Okay. So that leads me to kind of a two-part question. I think the answer may actually be similar. And so I want to ask them together. Um, the first being, I know that you work with a lot of extremely high-end athletes and celebrities, people who are doing amazing things with their bodies. And certainly there's some of those that listen to this podcast, but the majority are parents and working moms who are trying to maintain, like you said, the functional ability to do the things they need to do in daily life and who are also parents. And so the two-part question being, um, from your perspective, what is a good like lifestyle and movement pattern, if, if someone's trying to optimize for that. And similarly, what 
kind of movement and lifestyle patterns should we be encouraging in our children? Because I know we talked about this a little bit in person, but kids seem to be born with amazing range of motion and amazing mobility. And from the first time they walk, my kids can squat perfectly and be comfortable there for 20 minutes. So how do we keep that amazing mobility that they're already built with and born with? Sure. Working with an adult, I can't give you as much of a blanket statement because if, you, if if I assess 10 people today and then you ask me after I assess them, what's the best movement for person one? What's the best movement for person two? What's the be- best movement for person three? They're going to all be different answers. The one blanket statement I can say, because I believe this, is the morning routine of controlled articular rotations, which there's plenty of videos about online, or you can work with an FRC person in person, which is always better. But moving your joints in a rotational manner through the largest range of motion you can in a pain-free range under a little bit of tension is going to be the one blanket statement thing I could say. Every single person I meet, I teach. And I taught you that the first time I met you as well. That would be one like quote-unquote pattern or, or movement that I would say everyone needs to get in the habit of doing. Very few things in life and especially physical fitness, do I believe the more the better? Like I don't believe the more strength training, the better. I think there's a sweet spot for every person. I don't think the more power training, the more speed training, the better. I don't even think the more flexibility training, the better. But the more body control and the more joint rotations in a pain-free manner, I do believe that falls in the category of the more the better because it's just something to, to just inject health and movement into our joint space. That's one thing I could say every single person listening to this should link up with an FRC person. And or, or you know, if you don't have someone near you work with someone online, like I, I, you know, you work with me online, I have my online kin stretch subscription, work with someone either in person or online to learn these movements to, to just get in a daily habit of moving your joints in a healthy way. Now, if you find that you end up having pain, when you start doing these movements, or you have mobility deficits, that's where the rest of the work can help solve those mobility deficits. Going back to the question about kids, I don't think like like I don't think you need to hire me to train your kids, Katie. I think kids need to be kids. Kids need to play. Kids need to express their bodies. Kids needs to kids need to play fight like like a, uh, they need to wrestle each other and, and use their joints like humans. Now, if you're going to ask me what I believe is a good like practice for kids to get into. Although, like, I could, what I always like joke around. I when when an adult hires me, I say, I don't know what I could do for you, but we could save the kids. Like, I use that joke a lot for the same reason you're saying. Like, kids move well and they have healthy joints. So, I do believe joint maintenance is a good goal for kids because if you get them to move through their full range of motion, you get them active, they will maintain that mobility. Range of motion is not taken away from you as the years go on. Range of motion is taken away from you because you don't use it. Our body is a, works on a use it or lose it principle, but. I personally, it's an opinion, I personally would stick with my kid. If when I have kids, it'll be gymnastics, dance, martial arts, or probably all three at different phases, because those are body control disciplines that use the human body throughout all the ranges. So if you think of a dancer, if you think of a gymnast, if you think of a martial artist, it is using all of our joint articulations through their full range at some point or another. Whereas compared to like soccer, which is not joints through their full range of motion, it's a sport, but it is not full range of motion. Weight training itself, a full range of motion exercise. So like say full range of motion squat is not full range of motion hip. Does that make sense? Like 
it, just because you're getting to the bottom of a squat, yes, you're hitting full range of motion for that exercise, but you are not hitting the full range of motion of that joint because the joint does much more than just go through flexion, which is what the hip does in a squat. So there's also extension, abduction, adduction, internal rotation, external rotation. So even full range of motion strength training, I don't believe to be enough. But when we have kids, get them to be active, get them to play. Play is one of their best ways to actually learn about their body. So um, that that's really the best answer for them. I don't think kids need like a disciplined routine, but I think they need to be encouraged to move their body in more ways more. Like I know uh, one of the guys that I teach with, Dewey Nielsen, at his gym in Oregon, they have what they – their kids' classes, but they call them ninja classes. And you know this is something that our friend Travis would love, um, Travis Brewer, the ninja. He sets up ninja classes in the in the gym, and it's really just kids' classes. But they just create an environment where they could play, like obstacle courses and climbing things and ducking under things and crawling and jumping from thing to thing. Because it's not, they don't need to squat, they don't need to do push ups, they don't need to do pull ups. They need to move. They just need to be humans. They need to play. They need to wrestle. They need to they need to to just. Um, move naturally and not be constrained to exercise which is exercise itself is just human invented movement like no hunter gatherer in the in the time scale of life thousands of years ago didn't wake up and said oh man i have to do front squats today and then i got to hold my plank for a minute and then i have to go to go to a go to a jog to increase my cardiorespiratory fitness they just moved so our kids, we want to encourage to be as human as possible and just get them to move more through their full range of motion. And if you if they do end up picking a sport that doesn't do that, like baseball or football or track and field or whatever else, then I do think that you should try and encourage them to be a multidisciplinary sport child, as in not please don't do baseball year round. Please don't do football year round. As each season passes – let them play a different sport per season. So maybe track and field in the summer and football in the winter and water polo in the fall and let them go through different stimuluses as the year goes on because it, it's so unfortunate. But I get, I get contacted by parents now of like 13 and 14-year-old kids and they're like, my kid is supposed to be a star baseball player, but he has to get Tommy John surgery already. And I put the fault right back on the parent. Like you've tried, you tried to specialize your child so early you forced them to play baseball all year round because you wanted them to be a baseball star. And now because of that, they're 13 and need elbow surgery already, something that was only in adult major league players for years now is in your 13-year-old kid. Nothing's wrong with your, the baseball coach. I think the fault is in the parents trying to specialize their kids too young. Our, our children are not meant to be specialized workers or specialized athletes. They're meant to move like humans. I love that so much. And it's so encouraging because there is a surprising amount of pressure in the parent world to have your kids specialize early. And I hear that so many times. It's like, what if your kid is going to be the next Tiger Woods, but you didn't put them in golf at age three or whatever it is. Um, and part of my response is, well, I'd rather my kid do something that like contributes to the world in a different way than just be Tiger Woods. But I love that you said that about the functional movement and letting them play because we certainly share a viewpoint on this. And in fact, as we're talking, I'm looking out my window and my kids are playing in the, in the yard and I've seen one climb a tree and I'm like, oh, look at all that hip movement and all the stuff they're doing. <laughs> and another is crawling to get under a bush to get a ball and another one just rolled. And so I'm like, I love that they're doing that kind of stuff. And, and I also, without knowing that, I love that the two things we've ever let them do in a structured way were gymnastics and martial arts. Um, That's awesome. And they've recently adopted pole vaulting, but I'm glad that they have all that other stuff to give them the movement for pole vaulting because it's a pretty intense sport as well. Sure. 
I'll, I'll say one thing too, which which is related to what we're talking about, but it's kind of projecting into the years of the future. Um, since since I do work with a lot of professional athletes, like when I when I work with somebody. And like it's a professional athlete, and he's like, "Yeah, my my elbow's killing me, my shoulder's killing me." And then I talk to them about their sport. One a quote that I stole from another colleague of mine, uh, Mike Ranfone, is that and this is unfortunate, and nobody likes to say this out loud, but it's a reality we all need to accept: the cost of high performance. So the cost of becoming a high performing athlete at a, like a major league level is your health, and nobody likes to say that out loud. But it's just the reality of it. Like we put our athletes up on pedestals as like they're the best humans in the world. No, no, they're not. They are they are unhealthy and they do not feel good and they hurt and they are breaking down their body much faster than the average person. Sports aren't normal. It is not a part of the evolutionary process to take a baseball and hurl it at a hundred miles per hour a couple hundred times per week and then wonder why our elbow hurts. It's it's completely unnatural to just do the same things over and over again and just get more specialized and more better at just one movement pattern over and over and over again. And then once again, wonder why injury rates are only going up. The cost of that, although hopefully if you get to major league level and you're making millions and then you could support all your family, that's awesome. But the cost is your health. Like Imagine a football player after they retire. They don't feel good. They don't move well. Hopefully, they've made enough money to make that sensation worth it, but they don't feel good for the re- – they have early onset arthritis. Their joints do not move well. They are in pain a lot of the time. It is not a pretty picture seeing a professional athlete after they retire, which is another conversation I have when I work with recreational athletes. Like I'll work out with a, with a stay-at-home dad who plays soccer on the, soccer three days a week just because it's the hobby because he liked playing soccer as a kid. But he's now getting beat up and his joints are starting to hurt, but he's not getting paid for it. So I have to ask him, like, I know you really like soccer, but the last 10 injuries you had were all in a soccer match. Is it really worth it? Like, you have young kids. Don't you want to be able to get on the ground and play with them? Because if your job isn't this sport, you have to decide if that kind of breakdown of the body is really worth it. Because once again, I'll say again, the cost of high performance is your health. What I follow that up with, because nobody – like, when I when I say that to a professional athlete's face, they look at me like I'm a, I'm a jerk – and then I say, so I'm going to try and teach you how to still perform at a high level, but also try and take care of your joints better. And that's where I teach them the controlled articular rotations. I teach them the morning routine, and I teach them exercises to try and close some of their mobility deficits to try and give them back some of the prerequisites that their sport demands. But since they play a sport regularly, my hope is, this is another thing I tell them, that work I give you is going to try and shift your body to the right. And then your sport is shifting your body to the left, and now it's a game of tug of war. So I hope that you do enough of the work that I teach you to make things feel better faster than your sport makes things feel worse. I don't always win that tug of war match. It depends on people's on-season versus off-season. That's why, once again, I encourage kids have multi-disciplines throughout the year. But if I work with like a – let's say I work with a, a professional baseball player, and they're actually going to the World Series this year. They're playing baseball for 11 months straight. They have a one-month off-season. Very rarely am I going to have a good chance winning that tug of war match because the amount of baseball they play is making stuff move to the left way faster than the exercises I gave them moved things to the right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I I love that you educate about that because I know you work with professional athletes who obviously are not willing to give up their careers just to have uh, better joint health when they're older, but at least they're going into it now understanding that A, there is a sacrifice being made. And if that's a conscious choice, then that's totally great for them. But you're also giving them tools to hopefully help mitigate some of that damage while still admitting 
there's still going to be problems from this. You can't do this forever and not have problems. Absolutely. Like I, like if I work with a baseball pitcher, which I, I have in the past here in LA, um, I'm not going to make him have a normal shoulder ever. There's nothing I could do. The amount of insult that he put into that bio- biology in his body, I can't undo that. I worked with an NFL player last week, a, one of the largest humans I got to work with ever. Um, and I told him, I was like, I can't undo football. Your job is to get down low and crash your head into people. There's nothing I can teach you to undo that. So let's take what we can control. Let's, let's take the joint space that you have. Let's move that around on a daily basis and try and keep fluid and nutrition coming through there. And let's try and make your body a little more human again. Because right now you're in the mold of football. And the closer you are to compensatory football patterns, the further you are from normal human function. So let me try and give you ways to try and work on both of those. But once again, I don't, I don't lie to people. I'm like, as long as you play football, you're going to have issues. As long as you play baseball, you're going to have issues. I'm working with, some, with a Cirque du Soleil troupe uh, later today. And those circus athletes are some of the hardest working athletes I've ever seen. They train for like six, seven, eight, nine hours a day and perform sometimes multiple shows per day. I can't undo that. I only have like an hour with them per week. I can't undo that. So my best job and really what I think personal trainers best job is since we don't have enough time with people is to educate them about their own body. Like even best case scenario, let's say Katie, you live near me. You're still probably best case scenario only going to come in two to three days a week to work with me. That's two to three hours out of 168 hours. If I can't educate you about your body and how to take care of it better, do you really think the two hours with me is going to undo the 166 hours without me if you're not doing what I ask you to do on the hours that you're not with me? It doesn't even make sense. So to try and sell people on just two to three hours of activity being enough is outrageous. I don't think our job is to work out people, although I get, I understand that's a part of it. And if you're a personal trainer, I'm a personal trainer too, and I get it. I understand. I do understand what our job is. I just don't think it's enough. I think my job while training you is to simultaneously educate you so you can take care of yourself as good as possible without me. That's the, another thing that people ask me all the time is because I, I travel a lot. I'm out, I'm out of the state or out of the country two to three times a month to t- travel and teach. So my clients are like, how do, how do your clients ever get results if you're never home? Because they don't need me. None of my clients need me. I've taught my clients every single thing they need to know about their own body so that when I'm in town, sure, great, we could train together and we could train hard. But when I'm out of town, they know exactly what they need to do without me because I've educated them about their own body so that they could take care of themselves better. Yeah, I think that's such an important point that you just made. And I love that you have that perspective in working with your clients and with the education. And to loop it back to parents, I think that's something we definitely should be cognizant of. And for instance, like I've been doing cars since we met, and then now my kids do them with me in the morning because they love it. And it's become part of our morning routine to do it outside in the sunshine. Which has, so awesome. Um, but to them, it's just fun. It's a game. Um, and I, I think especially for the parents listening, if there are those kids who are sitting in desk for eight hours a day, which is not a normal human movement, and then the only movement they're doing, like you said, is a very specialized thing. Like they're going straight from sitting all day to baseball and and slinging balls at 100 miles an hour. None of that is normal for human movement. So it's good for us to know so that we can hopefully do things to build in better movement patterns for them, especially if they're starting that young. Absolutely. Like it's, it's, I, 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 I can't speak on it directly. I am not a parent. I plan on being a parent one day, but I'm not a parent. So I'm not going to sit here and like try and be high and mighty trying to talk to parents about how to parent their kids. 
I'm sorry if that came off wrong. So I, I, I hope everyone understands. I'm not a parent. I'm just telling you what I would do if I was a parent. When I'm a parent, I would, I would, you know, be multidisciplinary and try and make them get into different things. But like you said, you, 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 the, a word you use there, I love because I think it's a big part of getting kids to like something. You said it's a game for them, and man, is that important because to uh, I've I've heard the term before. It's like to gamify, to make a game out of something that's not a game, is a absolutely a great way to get children involved in something. So it's it's now a game to do the joint circles with with, with mom in the yard and the son that makes it because if you make it a chore, hey kids, you have to do this. You better believe, and even if they could feel good doing it, as soon as mom and dad say I have to do this, it's a chore now. And kids don't like to do chores. They don't They don't care about their joint health. Kids feel great. They don't care about their shoulder. So the fact that you were able to gamify it, I'm going to have to ask you how you did that, but the fact that you were able to gamify it for your kids, that's awesome because that's a way that kids want to get involved with moving like that. It's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I And I love, like I said, I, I'm so glad that we met and that I've incorporated this in my life. I, it's like anything that we learned about health. I wish I could have gone back and incorporated it when I was younger, but I loved it. There exposed and loving it from such a young age. And of course, I know you've mentioned so many different things. I'll make sure that there are links to all of them in the show notes so people can find them. But also, can you walk us through where people can find you? I know you have limited availability even in your online classes, but where people can find you and learn more and start learning from you in a more direct way if they want to? Uh, I guess I'll just kind of go through the list on Instagram, which is where most people kind of find me and interact with me. It's just one word, at Hunter Fitness. My last name is Cook, but apparently everyone in the world knows me at, at Hunter Fitness. I started that too long ago. So that's who I am. Um, therefore, the same thing on Facebook. You could look up the Hunter Fitness Facebook page, and that's on there. You could also go to HunterFitness.com. It's getting pretty repetitive now, but it's a way to keep everything in line. So if you go to HunterFitness.com, you could always message me on there. Um, I reply to everything uh, myself. So if you need anything, just let me know if you have any questions. Um, through my website, there are multiple tabs and options to look at. What Katie is a part of and what a lot of people around the world are a part of is my online Kinstretch group, which Kinstretch is our solution for group training for this mobility work. So I have clients all over the world in my online Kinstretch group, and that's a way for if you don't have someone in your neighborhood that can teach you this work or if somebody's too far or you're listening to this from another country and there's no one in your country who could teach you this work, um, I do have online mobility classes that are available. And that's what Katie's a part of since Katie doesn't live near me. And besides that, I, I, I have to plug what I, what I truly believe. This is, this is not self-serving. It's, it's really because I actually believe it's the right answer. I do believe that when you're trying to figure something out with your body, Working with someone in person is better than online work. So although I would love to see a lot of people come into the online community, that'd be awesome. Um, if you're problem something with problem solving something with your body, working with a practitioner in person is always going to be a better solution. So the main website as a hub for the system that I use is called functionalanatomyseminars.com. And then there's a find a provider option on there. And if you click find a provider under FRC, which is functional range conditioning, you can find if there's mobility specialists in your area just to learn more about mobility work and the morning routine and cars and getting your hips and shoulders to function better. If you're in pain, then use the find a provider option under FR or the functional range release. And that's how to find manual therapists that have been to our courses. So I, I see people go one way or the other. I always encourage people to try and work with people in person just because learning about your body, it helps to have somebody else's hands on you to kind of teach. I think biofeedback is a huge tool in learning a lot of this stuff. 
Um, but once again, if you are not interested in working with somebody in person or just don't have anyone near you, then I do have that online class available. Um, I do open it up in enrollment windows. So if you go to my website, you just add yourself to the waiting list. And every couple of weeks, I allow more people to come into the group. Awesome. And hopefully I'll see some of you guys in there with me because like you said, it's something that I've been doing and really enjoying and something you can do from home, which is great for moms. Um, I still have like 10 more questions I would love to answer or to ask you, but I think we might have to just, hopefully I can talk you into a round two one day. I would love to come back for a round two. Amazing. But I also know how valuable your time is and how many people want some of your time. So I will respect it for now. But Hunter, thank you seriously from the bottom of my heart for sharing. I think you are truly one of the best in the world at this and I'm honored that you took the time. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. That means so much coming from you. I appreciate it. I'm just honored to be put in front of your audience. It means a ton to me. And I hope I get the chance to uh, come back and talk some more. I would love to answer any other questions that you have. And I hope your audience uh, appreciates the work. Amazing. And thank you to all of you for listening and for sharing your most valuable asset of your time with both of us today. We're so grateful that you're here. And I hope that you'll join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.